Welcome to the latest edition of the GMS podcast. So my guest today is Pankaj Khanna, who is the CEO of Hydemar Shipping. Pankaj, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, about what the company does and the fleet that you manage? So I've been in shipping and offshore for about 34 years now. I started as a cadet on a ship. I worked my way up to getting my chief mate's license. Did that for about seven years. And then I moved on to the shore side. And then in 2007, when the dry bulk market was at its peak, I moved across to the dry bulk side, uh, working with a small company called Alba. Then moved across to a couple of different companies. Eventually ended up with the dry ships with George Economo. In 2013, I went out uh, on my own. I raised uh, 300 million in private equity funds to go out and set up uh, Pioneer Marine, uh, which we invested in handy-sized bulk carriers. So the last two years, uh, basically acquired Heidmar, uh, and then we started with about six vessels, uh, six ships uh, under management and six people. And then now we are up to about 60 ships under management and about 40 people. We run the ships from uh, London, Athens, and Singapore. Uh, it's a tanker pooling company. We also do commercial management. And then now we're looking at branching out into other sectors. So it sounds like you have a lot a lot of experience with everything. You have the analysis, you've got the fundraising, you've got kind of starting up a company and divesting a company. How does all of this work into the perfect storm, which is Hydemar? Because I know that over the past few years, you've really gone from strength to strength. You talked about starting off with six now you have a full pool, you're almost at 50, and you're looking at other arenas. How has this journey been for you, specifically at Hydemar, to accelerate so quickly? Well, uh, you know, we are a services company. Uh, Hydemar has great pedigree. It has been around for 36 years, was started by Per Heidenreich. Uh, it was the innovator pioneer in the sector. Since Per Heidenreich sold the company, there were, let's call it, some challenges because of uh, the markets, changes in management, uh, the shareholder interest or lack of. So I kind of refocused the company and uh, also uh, had a very close look at the costs of the company. As a uh, services provider, we cannot have the luxury of spending the kind of money that the company was in the past. So, so the fact that we are now very competitive in terms of costs, number one is a, a big advantage. That was a big change in the company. But also more importantly, I brought my asset owning mindset into the services sector because you know the services sector uh, i mean the client is the ship owner and on the other side is the oil company or trader the charter and uh, i think there are other services company out right that don't really put themselves into the shoes of the owner or the charter to understand what they exactly want so from my side having been on kind of both sides i put uh, thought into how the asset uh, owner thinks about it and provided bespoke services. So we were quite flexible, uh, you know, pools uh, generally try to tie people in and ask for long commitments. Uh, we changed the model on that. Uh, I introduced commercial management. Uh, we basically provided a lot of flexibility to banks and owners who were looking uh, at a different or wanting a different product than just the pool. The personalized service that they receive and the attention that has brought us to where we are and of course the relationships I and mean, this is a relationship business for the last 34 years that i've been in the industry i've been able to build some relationships and i've been able to uh, leverage some of that 
so people know the Heidmar name, uh, the relationships I brought, uh, we brought some ships with that. So, so far, I think that has worked. And then, of course, Heidmar's biggest, uh, there are two things that really stand out about Heidmar is, of course, the people, the talent, because that's what we, you know, market. It's, uh, you know, we, we don't have some special uh, software that we work the ships off. It's the people who uh, fix the ships and run the ships. And then, of course, the transparency. So uh, whatever we do, basically, it's completely transparent. You can see exactly what your voyages are, what's going on, whether it's in the pool or on the commercial management. So effectively, I leverage my asset owning background, which mostly predominantly is what I've done, then brought that to the service sector and then use the brand that is Heidmar to bring it back into the, uh, let's say, limelight. And uh, people do recognize that. So now we have gained quite a lot of traction and things are moving along at a faster clip than uh, we were, let's say, last year or the year before. That sounds great. And I know that this bespoke service and this ability to be agile is particularly valued at the moment where we're looking at quite a complicated market uh, ahead of us. I mean, obviously we're looking at different alternative fuels, um, if all of these alternative fuels are to be used, we're going to require new staff, uh, presumably new ships at some point, or we're going to have to look at major retrofitting. Uh, we're looking at a lot of geopolitical instability. So can you talk to me perhaps about how you're preparing to take on these, these challenges? And in particular, uh, shall we start with the look at the fleet? So do you think that people are going to be rushing to replace their vessels or do you think people are going to use their existing ships as long as possible and is that safe in your opinion and value for money okay let's start with the new buildings new buildings right now uh, there's no clarity on what fuel is going to come out as the predominant one so if you go out and make a call as some people have done in the last five years with lng and so we have several LNG uh, fueled or dual fueled vessels coming out, whether on tankers or LNG predominantly, and also some large bulk carriers. Uh, LNG is so expensive right now, it does not make sense to burn LNG on those ships. So I think uh, that kind of proves my point that you know the if you are first mover and you've gone out and done the thing with LNG, it has not really proven to be the right, uh, let's say, at least at this point, not the right decision. Maybe in the next two, three, four, five years, that changes. So you know you cannot go out and uh, order an ammonia-based vessel right now. Uh, a lot of people are now doing methanol. But the infrastructure for methanol distribution globally does not really exist. Uh, I think as far as new buildings are concerned, it's difficult for owners to go out and make that call. Some are. They're placing a bet on one fuel or the others. But there are others predominantly who are going out with conventional fuel vessels. Uh, but they are more economical. They're making it uh, dual fuel capable. They're looking at wind and all the other measures that can be taken to improve uh, the consumption. And I think that's the right way to go on the new buildings at this point until things clear out. Now, the other side of the element is, of course, uh, the equation is uh, the existing vessels. We cannot replace 50,000 vessels overnight or in the next five years or in the next 10 years. Uh, and these vessels are safe. We are running them all now. There's no change in there being safe or unsafe because these new regulations come in. So. Uh, we have to carry the whole the 
globe requ uh, requires shipping and shipping requires the current fleet to carry all the cargoes that we have so we these ships are going to be around till their end of useful life more or less maybe the useful life gets shortened a little bit with the new regulations coming in but it's not going to be cut to where it's you know we're talking about you know ships being scrapped at 5 10 15 years uh, of age uh, so we're going to have so to be smart like a, a closing down of design life say from 25 years to perhaps 22 or 23 years or 20 years 20 years something like that but i think it's more about uh, how proactive are you with your fleet so for example uh, you can do a higher quality paint on the hull so uh, you have less fouling you can do silicon based for uh, paints for example you can see if you can retrofit air lubrication on the vessels you can look at retrofitting wind uh, assisted sails for example uh, there are the propeller burst caffins muse stack so there are all these energy saving devices that can be retrofitted uh, and then of course we can also look at uh, fuel cells uh, which can be put on the deck. Uh, so instead of uh, using an auxiliary engine, you can uh, use uh, fuel cells. So there are all these measures that can be taken to improve uh, the fuel burn, uh, the consumption of the vessel. So I think that's kind of the way I see the market going, the industry going before uh, a whole bunch of uh, vessels are ordered. And of course, it's more sustainable this way as well to use an existing asset where the carbon footprint already exists. So then what you're not doing is creating a whole bunch of new carbon in the atmosphere, carbon emissions in the atmosphere by using new steel, burning new steel in order to create these new ships um, and put them out there under the auspices of being green. So do you think that, in your opinion, extending the life of a vessel would be the sensible thing to do? But one would presume that you would need high quality staff to run this properly because as a vessel gets older presumably it will need more maintenance uh, which we do anyways right now so i don't think we are extending the life of the vessel basically the current economic life of let's say a tanker or a bulk carrier is max 25 years uh, but the regulations which are coming in are the eexi and the cii regulations will force the improvement in the fuel consumption and the improvement in the running of the vessel so uh, as a result of that speeds will slow down so that reduces uh, the fuel consumption by itself but they will also have to take measures uh, to reduce fuel consumption so i think overall that is good for the industry because it squeezes the capacity if the ships are running at slower speeds you need more ships so uh, eventually uh, as far as the industry is concerned this is the way let's say the industry is being incentivized to go out and order more vessels eventually uh, because you know when the markets are as tight as they are right now or they will stay tight because ship speeds will slow down uh, the rates will be good enough that owners can then order vessels uh, if we look at uh, markets where the rates are not good enough owners will not be ordering vessels so i mean it's just uh, how things are I think it's so interesting because obviously you're talking about the CIA and the EEXI as allowing more tonnage to be used because there's going to be a slowdown. And a lot of people are seeing it as an excuse for vessels to be scrapped and for new tonnage to come onto the market rather than it actually being attractive to own a larger fleet. Could we talk about the CIA and the EEXI a little bit more? How are you preparing to collect the data to get the ratings and what advice are you giving the companies that are using Hydemark? 
so we are being proactive. Uh, the EEXI part of the regulations, the owners are obviously working with the class societies to uh, basically put in EPL. This affects the older vessels the most. Uh, so they're slowing down speed. So for example, a VLCC could have done, let's say max speed of 15 and a half, 16 knots will slow down to probably 13 and a half, 14 knots, maybe even 13 knots. So then we'll be able to comply with the EXI. The CII part of it as well. I mean, for 23, it's only measurement. So it's not really being enforced. It's, uh, the enforcement starts from 24 onwards, where you have to then meet certain standards. And that is a, because EEXI is a static measure, whereas the CII is a dynamic measure. So it's constantly improving, let's say, or reducing. The, the targets are always going higher and higher. So uh, that improvement that CII demands is going to make vessels uh, or ship owners think about what they need to do. So uh, the first step is obviously to measure. So we basically started CO2 measurements uh, earlier this year. So we have a, our own ERP platform, which was developed in-house in Heidmar 18 years ago. We have constantly redeveloped it. It was relaunched last year in September. So already we are measuring carbon voyage by voyage, leg by leg, since uh, about April, May. So we already know what our ships are burning. So that is the first step uh, in terms of measuring what's going on. Then so of you course, have a CII preview of your fleet already, pretty much? Uh, pretty much. I mean, at least we do the measurements. And then we've just taken on another software to do the CII measurements across the fleet. Uh, so once we have that in place, we are assisting owners with that. Because CII will drive the commercial uh, operation of the fleet. So uh, for example, that's a, a very interesting part that people don't realize. So currently, high consuming ships, we use them on short trades because the high consumption does not matter as much. They spend more time in port or waiting to load or discharge. So the actual voyages are short. So the consumption is not uh, really an issue. But with the way the CII works, these short haul uh, trades, et cetera, will uh, garner a higher CII. And so they or let's say the rating goes into D's and E's, even for echo vessels on the short voyages. So what we will now do is normally right now we run echo vessels on longer haul trades. We will have to change that where echo vessels will go on short haul uh, trades and the, uh, the higher consuming vessels will go on long haul trades. Now, this is a little bit of a problem with CI, hopefully, which will be solved. But you know, these are the kind of things that we are already looking at the impact and saying, OK, how are we going to have to change our trading of the vessels to uh, accommodate CII so that we can help the owners achieve the right ratings? And then, of course, the same for the charters as well. So uh, this work has already started where the first part was, OK, to analyze the regulations to see how it will impact us, which we have done now. So we have gone route by route and looked at, OK, what will be the impact for an echo vessel, a non-echo vessel? Where can we use the vessel and so on? So and that, of course, we are now, uh, let's say, educating uh, our clients as well so that they understand uh, what will happen when these regulations come into effect. So I think this is for a pool operator. This is what we can do. Now, remember that pools already incentivize better consumption. 
the better your consumption is, the higher your rating will be, the higher your distribution will be. So uh, the highest consuming vessels get the lower rating and therefore lower distribution. This has been going on forever because that's how the ratings work. From our standpoint, besides the rating schedule, now obviously we will have uh, to monitor the EXI along with the owners and to monitor the CII along with the owners and work with them to ensure that we uh, meet the right CII. And of course, now the charters will start looking at CIA and saying, OK, I want a ship. Here's my cargo. I want a ship. The max CIA needs to be a C. And they will not accept a D or E. And some uh, oil majors, for example, may turn around and say, I will not accept anything uh, which is not an A or B. So again, we will have to work with the charters to make sure that we are able to provide them that tonnage that they require, depending on what it is. So that will lead to a multi-tiered uh, market uh, out there, not just a two-tiered market, because in the past there was a two-tier with regards to double hull or single hull. Then there's a two-tier market now about the age. So it's either a 0 to 12, 13-year-old vessel, and then as soon as it hits 15, then it's an old vessel. So there are two tiers with that. Uh, and, and now there are more talk about, well, super echo, echo, non-echo vessel. But I think we will get to a point where you will have this gradation now from the CII. So you have five tiers in there. And uh, especially if you're an E, I think you will be virtually untradeable. But uh, for uh, A to D, we're talking about four, maybe three or four uh, tiers in the market in terms of who will take what kind of ship. And it's going to be really interesting because obviously, as demand changes, and from what I understand, a lot of freight forwarders um, have ESG reporting, which requires them to say things like, we're working with carbon neutral or we're working with ships with CII ratings of A or B. There has to be enough vessels of A or B grading, CII grading for them to be using them in the future, obviously, when um, the ratings are made public. Do you think that this is going to lead you to have to kind of structure and pre-plan that you've got a, a contract with company A, they'll need these vessels, we'll need to run them on these routes so that by the time they're prepared to go to service this this company, their CII rating has now been moved up to an A or a B. So you would have to shift routes with existing fleet to make sure that this qualifies. Is that something oh, on your yeah, radar? Yes, so as I, as I said, that even if I take an echo vessel, given how the rules work today, and put it on a short haul trade, it will go from an A, B to a D or E, just because of how the regulation works. As I hope that they will correct that because that is really not the way that it was supposed to work. But uh, assuming these regulations stay in place, then of course we will have to ensure that uh, the this is what I mean by working with the owners because the owners will want to have the highest rating possible. So they want an A or a B. And we will have to make sure that we trade the vessels accordingly to make sure that they are in that rating. Now, the other side is that all charters may say, of course, if they don't have to pay a premium, they will all want an A or B. So again, we will have to make sure that you know there is this availability accordingly. So you know, from our standpoint, uh, the pool and the rating system already creates a gradation in terms of how desirable a ship is or not. So uh, we will not be discriminating against vessels, but you know, just because of the way the ratings work, the uh, older, higher consuming vessels are going to uh, get discriminated against by the charters. Just wondering, because obviously regulations are really changing the landscape for you. So 
um, I guess my last question, other regulations are on your radar. What do you think that owners should have in their minds as we kind of go forward into 2023 and beyond? Well, uh, because so far we've only talked about EEXI and CII. I mean, this is just the beginning. Uh, the EU ETS scheme is coming in. Uh, at this point, I think they have made it a, a three-year process to bring ships uh, shipping on board. Uh, but I believe that the IMO will implement something which will be a global scheme, will not just be an EU scheme. So, uh, for example, we have already prepared, we have a credit line that we're working on that we will have in place where we can go out and buy carbon credits. We're working with the providers where we can go out and get the carbon credits. And of course, it's easier for us to buy carbon credits for 60 vessels than it is for an owner to go out and buy for one, two, five, ten vessels. So. I think that is one aspect where uh, there is no focus as yet in regards to uh, the offsets. And that uh, regulation is in the pipe. It's not far away. It, probably in the next year, two years, this will become a global regulation and will be put into effect. So I think that is something that we need to keep uh, in mind that it's coming and uh, we need to prepare for that. And uh, in knowing the nature of the shipping industry, which is uh, totally fragmented, I mean, of course, the big owners will have their own uh, systems and setup. Uh, but for the rest of the industry, we will prepare uh, to make sure that we are able to meet uh, the requirements uh, for our clients. And that is where the strength of the pool comes in as well. It's one thing to manage five or ten vessels where you have substantial capital invested, but you still cannot employ the same kind of resources that somebody can do with 60, 80, 100 vessels. So uh, I think there is a role for uh, pools going forward, which is the role of uh, commercial consolidator. So basically, uh, ownership may not get consolidated, but in terms of technical management, you have the third-party managers consolidating uh, on that side and on the commercial side again you see pools consolidating where the phase to the sh uh, to the charter is the pool rather than 20 owners uh, owning a couple of ships each and that makes absolute sense and it's a really good example kind of your your view on carbon credits and having a line open already is a good example of Hydemar being proactive of going ahead and saying we've already thought of this we're going to reassure you and taking it off the owner's plates for having to worry about this so i think uh, yeah it's a it's a great endorsement of the kind of activities you offer so thank you very much pankaj for making the time to be with us today um and we look forward to continuing to have uh, you participate with us in these podcasts and activities in the future thank you it was nice talking to you we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the GMS podcast and we would love to hear your thoughts. So do share them with us on social media. Make sure that you subscribe so that you're in the loop for when the next episode comes out 